This is A Sound Purchase, a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Episode 5, Ween's 1997 release, The Mollusk. You heard that uh, Beavis and Butthead are making a comeback. I yeah, I did hear something about that actually. I didn't really. I kind of saw it and then I thought, why? <laughs> Comedy Central's licensed them for two seasons. Yeah, but why? How are they relevant anymore? How is the format of what they were doing sort of relevant anymore? Yeah, I think it's a nostalgia thing, don't you? Yeah, but you know. I was never really into Beavis and Butthead anyway, back in the day. No, it was a bit before my time. Their whole shtick was just poking fun at crappy music videos, right? Was that more or less it? Well, we've got YouTube now. We don't need Beavis and Butthead to point out the bad videos to us. They've already been memed into oblivion. This is true. There was an episode based around Ween, though. Did you know that? Oh, really? (laughs) No, I didn't know that. Hence why we bring it up. Well, there was a a segment around Ween. It was uh, around the pushing, pushing of the daisies. What the hell is this crap? Did it, did it have an awful music video? No, not awful. I actually quite liked it, but they uh, they keep huffing helium as they sing. It's fantastic. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. That's, that's enough for me. That's enough. Okay. I don't need more wind than that. With that, welcome to episode five of A Sound Purchase. We've begun to find our feet in podcasting. And from today's session, we're going to begin to introduce each other and hopefully you, the dear listener, to some new records. My world has become rather insular recently and I haven't been searching for new artists like I used to and I'm I'm craving something fresh, something new. So what have you got for me today, Jake? Today, Stefan, I have for you Ween's masterpiece, their magnum opus, The Mollusk. The Mollusk was released in 1997. It was produced by Andrew Weiss, who wrote and recorded seven albums with the post-Black Flag Henry Rollins. Oh boy. He departed the Rollins band to devote more time to Ween, whom he had produced four of their previous albums. He joined the band as their live bassist until they sacked him but still asked him to produce this record. So they sacked him immediately before they started recording this record, apparently because he was becoming a bit too controlling in the band. Currently, he is the bassist for Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Oh, I've never heard of them, but okay. No, well, you know Jello Biafra. Liz Claypool, weirdo extraordinaire, has said, the mollusk is a tongue-in-cheek gem. <laughs> Stereo Gum did a fantastic article commemorating the 20th anniversary. Mm. They described the record as a woozy nautical pseudo-prog record. Records like The Mollusk endure and continue to confound, surprise, offend, and influence a generation of bands more concerned with artistry and pushing boundaries than moving units. Mm. That was a big factor for me. The artistry. The artistry, yes. rather than moving units. I often yeah. wonder about bands and... Well, how many multi-genre albums do you hear these days? Because there's about, there's about six or seven different styles going on during this thing. You know, yeah. like you said, there's the, the prog 
element of it, like the prog rock. Not like schizoid man rock, I think is what it says in the article, but it's uh, voices in the sky, that kind of prog. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. The band uh, were recording two records at once when they were writing The Mollusks. They were also writing 12 Country Greats. Yes. Which well, came out six months prior to The Mollusk. Two very good albums, actually. I've listened over both of them. Yeah. Well, they sort of started recording The Mollusk and then stopped, did the other album, and then carried on again. That really explains their method of quantity over quality, which is a quote from <laughs> there's a documentary on them where they say that themselves. We're more about quantity over quality. Nothing wrong with that. The quote is, we would try to write three songs in a day. Usually one of them would turn out good or all right. <laughs> Hey, it's, uh, it's a method that yeah. works. Yeah. They recorded at a rundown beach house on the Jersey Shore. What, what? Their manager had to set up the recording gear because the band didn't know how to. Once it was set up, he left them to it. And they recorded there until they left the house and went to Nashville to record the 12 Country Greats record around November time. When Mickey returned to the shore in about January... He found the steps frozen, encased in ice. A water pipe had frozen and burst, flooding the house and all of their equipment. Luckily, the tapes were not left on the floor. They were left on the dining table and avoided all the flooding because he estimated they had about 85% of the record done there. Man. That's crazy. <laughs> it was lucky, yeah. Uh, after the flooding, they packed everything up and just went back to New Hope, Pennsylvania, where they're from, to finish all of the recordings. During the post-production of The Mollusk, Electra Records had a big shake-up in staff. They pretty much sacked everyone, including the president. The guy who had signed Ween to the deal there was fired. The company were not sure about Ween's 12 Country Greats record, which had been recorded alongside The Mollusk, as we've said. The executives assumed that the band recorded 12 country greats to get out of their contract. <laughs> uh, they they kind of thought it was a piss take. Yeah, they they thought it was a they thought it was a joke. The band believed the Mollusk to be their best record yet, but the company continued to bury it. Mickey allegedly rang their A&R rep, very eager to get feedback on the record, and the response was, "Wait, what what record? Huh. So it sounds like a big cluster up at Electra Records. Same record company that signed the Doors in the 1960s. So they know their stuff, but still. Critically, the Mollusk did not fare well. One reviewer said the problem with Ween is that even though they're growing up, they haven't grown at all musically. Ironically, a couple of years later, the same reviewer did a 10 best records of the 90s review and ranked the mollusk at number three. <laughs> That's great. Well, how can you say as well, oh, they've not, they've not grown at all musically. It's like, but they're a full band now. <laughs> it used oh, to just yeah. be two of them and a drum machine. It's yeah. Like, how can you... Uh, uh, well, in in the interview, Mickey Mickey kind of hypothesizes that it's they've just looked at the track listing. They haven't actually listened to any of it. They've looked at the track listing and seen like waving my dick in the wind and just gone ah yeah okay. yeah that sounds like Ween yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. The cover was designed by none other than legendary Storm 
Thorgerson. Man, have you looked through the list of things? Obviously, the, I've got the, a list the big here. one he's done is Dark Side yeah. of the Moon. It would be the big one. But man, he's worked with everyone. <laughs> I've I've got a list. I've I've known the name for a very, very long time. Because pretty much any album I've ever cared about, he's been involved with. The Why It Matters blog calls Hypnosis, which is his company, the Beatles of cover art. Yeah. And he's responsible for Atom Heart Mother, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, Momentary Lapse of Reason. In fact, I think he even did the back catalogue of Pink Floyd. And if I remember correctly, I may be wrong, he went to art school with Pink Floyd, hence the relationship there. He has done Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC, Peter Gabriel Carr, Peter Gabriel Scratch, Peter Gabriel Melt by Peter Gabriel. That's Peter Gabriel's first three albums, all entitled Peter Gabriel. <laughs> Strangers in the Night by UFO, an awesome record. Love that record. Bloody Tourists and Deceptive Bends by 10CC. Electric Warrior by T-Rex. Black Holes in Revelation and Absolution by Muse. Splinter by The Offspring. And that's just a small dent, really, in their back catalogue of covers that they've done. Yeah, let's say he's worked with more or less everyone. Thorgerson apparently wanted every piece of the promo, posters, CD, singles, picture discs. He was completely taken by Boeen, proclaiming them as the rightful heirs to Floyd and Zeppelin. Wow, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a pretty statement. awesome. The album had a huge influence on Stephen Hillenburg. And if you are a similar age to us, you will instantly recognise that name as the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants. He passed away last year, sadly. Mm. Fun fact, though, in Germany, SpongeBob SquarePants is translated into SpongeBob SpongeHead. Oh, really? Does it just flow better in German? Yeah. Interesting. Context from you, Jake? Uh, to add to that, so we've gone through the artwork. Obviously, it was panned a bit initially. It has gone on to be regarded by themselves and most fans as probably their best album. Obviously, we've mentioned it's multi-genre, so I say it covers massive, massive span of, of musical styles, all centred around a nice nautical theme. When did you first hear about them? I think it was probably when I first heard Ocean Man in the credits to the SpongeBob movie. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Back in, uh, of course, what was that, 2003? Yeah, something like that. That would have been the first time. I didn't really pay much attention to it at the time. I was like, oh, it was a good song. And then years later, I was looking it up and then just listened to the album. So you took Ween out of SpongeBob. I took Twisted Sister out of the SpongeBob <laughs> movie. <laughs> Two different paths, but they both end at the same place. I first heard of Ween around the time when we actually started this podcast. Oh, really? Well, when you told me that we should do a Ween episode, <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever heard of them. Honestly, really? Although, now that I see the album covers, I do feel like I feel like I had uh, memories triggered of seeing the Chocolate and Cheese album cover at the record store, but... Well, I think, I think Ween are a bit like they've got that whole, um, almost like a Frank Zappa thing where people know who they are or know their artwork and album stuff, but never actually listen to them. The test was, of course, does Pubba know them? And of course he does, and he <laughs> likes course. them. So He's probably seen them, hasn't he? I, he, might, he might well have done. He probably has. So I, I hadn't heard of Ween prior to this episode. So this is the whole point of our new format. Jake is introducing me to a new artist. This will be reciprocated at various points. <laughs> I've got a couple of I've got a couple of good ones in mind actually for you. 
Okay. Uh, some of them I don't think you'll like. <laughs> some of them you will. Ah, oh, but that's the whole point of this, right? Yeah. Let's explore. Let's take a couple of minutes to refresh our mind and our ears on Ween's 1997 album, The Mollusk. Does my shuffle stop really look so good? Am I doing it the way I think I should want to be? Let's get going. I'm dancing in the show tonight. What an opener. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nautical theme. Uh, it doesn't start straight away. Um, <laughs> they decided, you know what, no, let's let's just rework a Christmas song from 1953. It'll be fine. Have you got a Christmas song? Yeah. Are oh, my ears oh, okay. on straight? It's a Christmas song. Oh, okay. All right, all right. so uh, Mickey was in a bar with Glenn McClelland. If we're supposed to know who that is. He felt that Glenn was a kindred spirit and he wanted to record with him. Together they recorded I'm Dancing in the Show Tonight, a track from a ballet practice record of Mickey's sister. He's still got the 12-inch, apparently. Ah, fair enough. Quote from Mickey, it was a stupid idea, but it was the perfect (laughs) opening track. (laughs) They didn't intend for it to sound weird, but it does. Another quote. They recorded 12 vocal tracks, all at different speeds, and most of the vocals that you hear is Glenn McClellan's son, Charlie McClellan, at age two. If I'm all prepared, first you take a step, then you point your toe. 
so in the out, uh, if you look in the liner notes of the album, it just says next to that outright stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm tainted a little bit with the pre knowledge of knowing that this influenced SpongeBob, but I swear I hear the SpongeBob voice within <laughs> this song, and I'll have to play a clip. Does my stop really look so good? Yeah, I hear it. It sort of modulates into it. Now you see, to me, that's just Randy Newman. <laughs> That's like doing a really bad Randy Newman impression. <laughs> oh, I can see him doing a version of this as well, actually. That'd be really good. I think I might be crazy. I think I'm just assuming that because I already know that it's an influence of Stephen Hillenburg. Yeah, I mean, I can. it, it kind of sounds similar, but I wouldn't say it's it's the voice of it. Maybe it's the inspiration. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, we could probably find out, but we're not going to. So... Well, he's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He was worse than dead. His brain is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is, it's the best show. (laughs) I haven't got any more notes for this one. No, there's not really much to say about it. It's the typical ween, just them doing stupid stuff. You know, it's like, oh, let's just do this thing. It'll be fine. There you go. Peak ween right there. That leads us on then to the title track of The Mollusk. I'll start you off with a quote here. Of all the songs Aaron and I have written together, this is hands down my favourite. That's Mickey saying that. Oh, wow. The fantastic swirly keyboard sound, which I really do like, was an idea recorded by Mickey at the beach house on the Jersey Shore. What work? He then went out to Surfcast, and I assume he means fishing. But when he came back in, Aaron had written a song around those sounds. Mm. So then it was re-recorded after the beach house in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I think there's something really nice about this. It's kind of like a 6-8 waltzy sort of sound. Don't Oh, yeah, I did pick up on the 6-8 before, actually, yeah. I've been hot on my time signatures recently. I never realised that these songs are in like compound time because I've always just mimicked the strumming mm. or whatever and like uh, was, I was teaching Nothing Else Matters to a student the other day on guitar and I was going that's in a, it's in compound time that's not yeah. in regular time yeah 6-8 yeah so really love those keyboard sounds that sounds just fantastic just yeah seriously cool I've got a note saying I really like the trumpet but I actually think it's a synth now that I hear it again <laughs> Quite probably. Um, there was a lot of heavy processing going on with, with a lot of the instruments that they had going on. At the end, it sounds like a trumpet, but at the very, very beginning of that little solo, it sounds very synthy with the way that the attack is working. Mm. But you know me, I'm a sucker for the trumpet. And I just love the calmness of this song. Yeah, absolutely. And the 6-8 helps because it kind of gives it that washy feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it kind of really sets up. Sets up our nautical theme for today. Shout out to Genius.com for this next little tidbit. In the second verse, the line is, uh, Hey little boy, come walk with me and bring your newfound mollusk along. Does it speak of the Trinity? Any any ideas as to why a mollusk would be speaking of the Trinity, Stefan? Uh, no. I'll tell you why a mollusk might know about the Holy Spirit. Please do. According to tradition, Stefan, while walking along a beach, St. Augustine is said to have had a revelation 
regarding the incomprehensibility of the Holy Trinity. Because Jesus is God and God is Jesus, but he's also the Spirit, but the Spirit is Jesus, but he's God. But God is Jesus, but he isn't because he's God. Basically, he was doing that in his head. Yeah, okay. Uh, after seeing a child digging a hole in the sand with a scallop, which is a type of mollusk. So he's using a scallop shell and using the shell to fill the hole with water. And then he realised that his attempts to understand the Trinity were as futile as the kid's attempt to fit the whole ocean into his hole in the sand. That's why a scallop might know about the Trinity, I guess. Layers, man. There's layers to that one. Yeah. I don't know if that's what Gene Ween was thinking about. Maybe he was. I don't know. I hope he was. That adds some really cool layers to it. Yeah, I just thought that was, was an interesting take. I had no idea about that. Absolutely. That leads us on to the third song on the album, The Polka Dot Tale. Yeah, it's a very uh, kind of children's yeah. nursery rhyme sort of thing, isn't it? I've been listening to a lot of children's music <laughs> over the past <laughs> two and a bit years, and I consider myself actually to be almost an expert on children's music. Favourites, of course, are the Wiggles. Love the Wiggles from, from Australia. <laughs> the Wiggles never really kind of cracked the UK market, but they've pretty much cracked everywhere else. Gross. They were the top earning touring act out of Australia. Really? They beat ACDC. Wow. That's yeah. a... <laughs> children's entertainment, that's where the money is, mate. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I consider this to be a bit of a children's song. Yeah. But I mean, that's not to diminish it. I'm not. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination trying to diminish children's songs. I think, in a way, it's harder to write children's songs. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I see what, see what you mean with that. Yeah, because you gotta you gotta simplify everything. Yeah. But then, as an as an artist, you usually want to put a great amount of depth and layer into into your stuff. But with children's music, you just kind of can't do that. It's got to be very literal. It's got to be very literal. It's got to be very catchy as well. Yeah. Proper earworm. Funny, I have a lot of stuff I've I found online about this one. There's, it went down two quite different schools of thoughts. One was that it is literally just riffing off uh, "Down by the Bay," which is a children's song. Down by the bay. The other school of thought was <laughs> <laughs> a bit darker than that. It's saying, like, "Yeah, it's a song about dementia," <laughs> which I didn't pick up on. And it's basically someone with dementia rambling on, you know, and then interspersed with moments of of them kind of coming back to normal and realising before it goes into the psychedelic guitar solos when he says, like, Billy, and then it goes off on one. Billy. And then at the end where he goes, help me, and then it goes off on a big psychedelic guitar solo. Help me. That's instantly made this song so much better. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a couple of really good documentaries where there was one on a bloke that runs a charity in America for dementia patients mm. where he gets iPods and fills up iPods with music from the patient's youth to see if there's any kind of correlation. They show these people who are leaning over the table, dribbling for majority of the day, but as soon as they get the headphones on, they're singing, they're dancing, they're moving. It's incredible to see how music kind of unlocks the brain like that. The other one that I saw was on Glenn Campbell, who's okay, yeah, like a rhinestone cowboy, the Wichita yeah. lineman, uh, played a lot of guitar for the Beach Boys. Yeah. He 
before he died, he only died a couple of years ago as well. Mm. But before he died, he did like a big farewell tour. It was things like he could barely remember what his wife's name or his kids' names were. But he'd go out on stage for like an hour and a half. He could play almost by rote every single note in a guitar solo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's incredible. Yeah. Music therapy is, is a thing which needs to be kind of explored more than, than it probably is at the moment. It needs to be better funded than, oh, it, like than it probably is right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. say about most things at the moment. Yeah. We're not a political podcast, but it's come out this week that Kanye received, I think, is it between three and five million bailout? I thought it was about seven. Maybe. Pearl Jam, also Tool. Really? And the, the worst of all, the worst of the worst, the Eagles... Because of all of their all of their tours have been cancelled, obviously, so they're seeking government oh no. bailouts. Poor Eagles! It's not like you tour all year, every single year, as the most lucrative tour every year as well. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong; I absolutely adore the Eagles. I went to see them a couple of years ago and absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. But they ain't hurting for money. <laughs> they ain't yeah, hurting they, for money. They are single-handedly <laughs> responsible for the hundred pound, hundred dollar ticket. Yeah. Yeah. When they reunited in the mid 90s for the Hell Freezes Over, they started charging more than like 30 pounds for a ticket. Paved the way. And it's crazy. There's some famous ticket stubs out there that's like Red Hot Chili Peppers supported by Nirvana and Pearl Jam for something like $19 <laughs> in one night. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, Kanye as well is like, isn't his wife a billionaire now? Exactly. Exactly. But hey, hey, capitalism exists to uh, uphold, you know, the people who've already got the money, doesn't it? So the money gets funneled up. The hard part with it is there's a lot of people who are struggling. There's a lot of people whose businesses are folding, Mm. but we're going to support multimillionaires with millions of dollars. It's ridiculous. Makes you sick, doesn't it? It does. Speaking of which, actually, Kanye, first of all, isn't the family claiming that all of these recent things are a bipolar episode? Uh, I think he is known to have bipolar. He is, but he he refuses to take his medication because it hinders his creativity. Uh, I, I get it. A lot of medication sucks to take and it will have side effects that aren't great. But if you've got bipolar, probably take medication. Because he's making a fool out of himself. But then again, that's all he's ever really done. Apart from the first couple of albums that he put out were all right. They were only all right. They were only all right. Hey, I've seen him live, mate. He opened for you too. (laughs) 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 And worst of all, my cousins went to see you two the next day, not knowing who you two were. They went to see Kanye. Oh, God. Why? Why was Kanye supporting you too? I mean, that's not the that's not the weirdest one. When I went to see the police on their Reformation tour, they were supported by Fergie. What was in Black Eyed Peas? As in, yeah, Fergie. And uh, it was big news in Wellington, New Zealand at the time because apparently some snap-happy photographer in the front row managed to catch a snap of her and realised that her fly was undone for the whole concert. Huge news. Huge news. Huge news. Huge news. In New Zealand. The world Huge. stopped. You couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've I've seen some pretty bizarre opening acts before. That is a weird one. But let's let's steer this shit back on course. Yeah, we're not a political podcast. 
Polka Dot Tail, you've already mentioned the solo. Really like the solo. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, and I really like the Help Me preface. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it kind of puts a whole new perspective on it, doesn't it? As soon as I read that, I was like, ah, yeah, okay, that's yeah, that's interesting. Next song is I'll Be Your Johnny on the Spot. Oh, I love this song. It's country punk. It's like two chords in the whole thing. With like the the panned noises. That's it. That's the song. <laughs> I love the panning. Basically, just your, it's country punk with a blues style call and response. That's it. It sounds okay. like just like a sped up Casio drum beat or something like that. Yeah, quite possibly. Production-wise, I think it fits in the album in general. has got some amazing production stuff going on, like we were saying with the voices in uh, the first track. Now, looking into the lyrics on this one, can't work out what it's actually about. It just seems to be... You know, Johnny on the spot is, means you're basically prepared for stuff, right? Yeah. Lives on a farm, and he's got a Chevy with a Mopar cam, which I looked up, okay. uh, and apparently that's a camshaft that's designed to work for a Chrysler engine. So, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what this song's about, but I, I like it. I've got a couple of notes here. The first one, the monotonous vocals are really cool. Yeah. And you'll like this. It reminds me of uh, K Billy's. Ooh. Yeah. Really reminds me of that from uh, Reservoir Dogs. K Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on coming with this little ditty. I'll be Johnny on the spot. I'll be Johnny on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The guitar apparently is being run through an anchored wire pedal. So they've just found a point in the wire spectrum that they go, hey, that sounds cool, which is similar to how they got the sound for Money for Nothing, Dire Straits. Yeah. I think the whole cocked wire thing is, well, Boss made a whole pedal around it, didn't they? The um, spectrum. Oh, is that what that does? Yeah. So basically you just pick a frequency that it just accents and then you pick how much it boosts it by. Wow. Okay. That, so it's just the cocked wire pedal but you can't knock it accidentally while it's on. That would kind of, that would ruin the uh, the sound of Money for Nothing if he did. Yeah. And did they bit crush the guitar for the solo? No, it's a ring modulator. Ah, that's what it is. So it's like the only good example of a ring modulator then. <laughs> yeah, that. pretty much. Uh, it's a ring modulator, but it was like a, a home-built one that lasted for about this song and then broke and died. <laughs> so they, they were lucky that they got this song and this take out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not usually one for a, for a ring modulator myself, but, you know. Oh, I've tried to use them so many times. Maybe it's just because the ones I've always used have been software ones, so they're like the ones that come with Logic or Pro Tools oh, or whatever. Yeah. Maybe. They just always sound awful. <laughs> like you turn it on, and no matter what you do, it's just like, oh my god, that's yeah, awful. I guess that's a new challenge for us then to put in a good ring modulator. Can't be done. Well, it can be done. Well, it can be done because Ween have done it. But it was so good that it could only be done once, <laughs> and that was it. It was so good that the pedal broke. That's it. Yeah, that was it. And combusted spontaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Can't be done anymore. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the next song on the track listing is Mutilated Lips. Originally, the record executives wanted to release this song as the lead single, which I think they eventually did, but the band weren't very happy about it. They liked yeah. the song, but they they thought it was just weird and it shouldn't be released as the lead single. Yeah, it's a weird choice for a lead single. But I guess the, the record execs were trying to play up the whole weird ween sort of thing if you think about when it was released that sort of thing was going out of fashion 
like the weird musical stuff. So things like um, like Flaming Lips. No, I'd, I'd say they were still in. Well, yeah. Well, they released the Soft Bulletin the next year, didn't they? And that was like the best album of the decade. So was a really good album. It's a really good album. That's a really good album. One of the concerts that I've been truly disappointed by was seeing the Flaming Lips at Festival because I think I'd spoken to you about it so much and we'd built up the idea of their performances so much from when you went to see them. They were really good when I went to see them because they played that album from start to finish and it was amazing. Yeah. When I when I saw them at Best of All, Wayne Coyne stood on a podium for the entire show. Yeah, that's he didn't have the giant laser hands, I take it. He didn't have the giant laser hands. He didn't have the bubble. Not even the point. You know, yeah. And he had the laser hands, he had the confetti hands, he had the bubble, he had the Wizard of Oz going on. He does like to talk though, doesn't he, in between songs? A little bit, yeah. They had the two-hour slot when I went to see them go and play the Soft Bulletin. I don't know if you've listened to the Soft Bulletin. Not you, not you. obviously, I know you have, but other people. <laughs> it's not two hours long. So I thought, oh, excellent, there'll be loads of, they'll do loads of extras as well. No, no, their encore was like two songs because he spent about 15 minutes talking in between each song. So uh, Yeah, I've got a lot of time for them still though. They, they did an entire reworking of Sgt Peppers a couple of years ago. Yeah, they did, they've done a couple of albums like that, I think. Uh, didn't they do Dark Side of the Moon? They did Dark Side of the Moon as well, yeah. That was the first time I ever really sat up and took notice of them. They did it really well. They do really good cover They did albums. do it quite well, yeah. Well, the Dark Side of the Moon was better than the Sgt. Peppers, but then again, that's the same for most of the bands. Like, the Easy Star All-Stars do the dub version, dub side of the moon. Mm. They also did Sgt. Peppers' Lonely Hearts dub band. Dub Side of the Moon was a better album. Oh, Dub Side of the Moon was so good. And so they did good. Radio Dread as well, which actually isn't that bad either. Yeah, Radio Dread was really good. They play Concord quite a bit in Brighton. Like every year, don't they? Yeah, Keith was always getting asking us to go, and I I should have gone. It's like Electric Six. They play every December <laughs> without fail. Christmas show. Yep, yeah, without fail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the lyrics in the chorus for Mutilated Lips, they really remind me of a song that I wrote with a friend in my high school ska band. Ween's lyrics are Mutilated lips give a kiss on the wrist of the worm like tips of tentacles expanding in my mind. The Charm School Rejects, yes, that was the name. They had a song called Astro Train, which was a word that I found online in an article and I thought, hey, that would be a cool name for a song. <laughs> As we were recording it, I couldn't come up with lyrics to save myself. The saxophonist Paul Treesloth Matthews was getting really upset with me so in a teenage fit of anger i went will you write them then and he went home and brought me back a set of lyrics the next day that were awesome and they were the lyrics that we used i was always blown away by this one line that he put in there and this is the line that reminds me of ween's lyrics astro train walks the streets of my mind dressed in red astro train was it something i said i always thought Wow, walking the streets in my mind and dressed in red, there's so so much detail in there. But I actually, Wayne is probably something that he would have been really into at the time, so... So you I think he's get... uh, influenced by Wayne? It could possibly have been an influence. Fair play. Yeah. Fair play. The, uh, the song features the drone of a Moog synthesizer. Ha! Huh. Got it right this time. I did. Mickey explains uh, Radio Shack licensed Moog in the 70s and people don't take it seriously or people didn't take it seriously, but it was built by Bob Moog, uh, so it's a legitimate synthesizer. That's the key part of the record. The Moog is all over the album. Mm. 
And I think that explains, just to follow up on our previous episode with Devo, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, uh, that explains how Mark Mothersbaugh may have been one of the first to obtain the mighty Mini Moog if it was a cheap Radio Shack synthesizer. Yeah. A Casio of its day. Right, Except exactly. it was actually really good. <laughs> yeah, and now look at it. It's like worth thousands, right? Uh, probably, yeah. I'd imagine so. Probably because nobody took care of them. So there's not that many original ones left. Oh, like, quite possibly. If you had like yeah. a little £20 Casio keyboard, you're not going to, you know, keep it in a hermetically sealed room, are you, with no dust and... Uh... Uh, Casio DG20, though. Uh, they, yeah, they've... Uh gone back up in price again actually they went down for a little while but I'm, i don't i don't know if flight for concords are having a resurgence or something but the <laughs> price has gone back yeah. up how dare they i was having a look the other day i was thinking oh, should i get one it'd be big kind of thing that i can we can give to brendan and he could do a, <laughs> do some cool stuff with it doubles up as a midi controller so if we worked it out he could play pass me the syrup on it oh cool that yeah. would be kind of cool actually that yeah. would be really cool um which is why i was looking but they've I was like, I'm not prepared to pay several hundred pounds for effectively tat. I really like the picked guitar in this song. Mm. And that's that's all my notes, really. Yeah. Oh, so I kind of went into a little bit about, obviously, the song. Uh, it's, it's just about having a bad acid trip, isn't it? That's more or Quite less. Possibly. Yeah. I, I do believe that mushrooms were on the menu for this recording. I think for a lot of the records they were, yeah. Basically, the first verse, if you look at it, is it's just him having a bad trip. So, yeah, it's basically describing having a really bad, bad trip, either on mushrooms or LSD. Kind of sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, mentions Brown. Ween like Brown. They mention Brown a lot. It's uh, sort of like their their colour. Fair enough. And they've got a thing of, like, Brown meaning something along the lines of, it's not right, but it's wrong in a good way, which is odd. Uh, then the mutilated lips obviously refer to the girl later in the song is referred to as just being an ugly girl. And in his <laughs> tripped out state, he's just like, oh, your lips but mutilated. That's that's sort of it. That's the premise of the song. Bad acid trip. Ugly girl with mutilated lips. Fair enough. Peak Queen back again. Yeah. Well, that leads us on to the next song, The Blarney Stone. The party sounds in this song were fabricated and recorded in the studio. They smashed bottles in a trash can and they did about 10 tracks of gang vocals to make it sound like they're at a big party. <laughs> The singing with the accent really gives me the vibe of Dropkick Murphy. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, I've, I've mentioned them in the notes that I've got as well. Not quite as upbeat as uh, some of their stuff, but it's, it's just a good old sea shanty, isn't that's it? It's a good old sing-song. 
you shouldn't shouldn't kiss the stone. The, the reason you're supposed to is that it apparently bestows the powers of eloquence and persuasiveness. Well, that's just an outright lie, because I know people that have kissed the stone and they're not <laughs> elegant. <laughs> Maybe it only lasts so long. Maybe. Maybe it's only while you're kissing the stone that you get the power. <laughs> you give the most elegant kiss to a stone. <laughs> That is a good premise for a, for a song. Okay, well then, it's going to be all right. I really like this song. I thought you would, <laughs> yeah. And it's probably the least ween song out of the entire thing. Probably. It's a good old breakup song. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they recorded it at the beach house on the Jersey Shore, what, what? As a, there's a cool little anecdote to come along here with this one. So this is all told by Mickey in the was it Stereo Gum article. Seeing that Aaron was hurting, I drove him to Atlantic City and we both put $500 down on black at the roulette table. Just walked in, $500 down. A fun aside from that is I went on a Euro trip. There was this one bloke from New Zealand that kept talking and talking and talking it up about when we go to Monte Carlo, which was like five, six, seven days into the month-long trip. Mm. When we go to Monte Carlo, I'm putting all my money down on black. <laughs> so sure enough, we got to Monte Carlo and he put all his money down on black. He lost it all and had to leave the trip. <laughs> but unlike that poor guy who's got an incredible story to tell now, Aaron and Mickey drove to Atlantic City. And if they won, they were going to spend the winnings on a fancy steak dinner. If they lost, they would go and watch Toy Story at the cinema. <laughs> that ages this album, right? Uh, he said, we got the cash, so we ordered Dom Perion 64, lobster, and like 10 orders, just like in the Blues Brothers. Oh, Everything yeah. we wanted to taste, even if it was $100, we ordered. Crazy. Pretty awesome. That that got me to thinking that these guys aren't just your average indie band, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this, for me, is the song with the most heart. It's kind of autobiographical. It's talking about Aaron breaking up with a girlfriend. Mm. I really like the swelling oohs and ahs in the background. Mm. The vocals are really cool. The guitar has an interesting vibrato chorus kind of tremolo wobble. Yeah, I was trying to work out exactly what it was. Yeah, um, I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. Put in a note that does that signal how close Aaron is to having a breakdown, you know, that kind of wobble, you know, when you get when you get upset, you have a bit of a wobble in your voice. Yeah. That could be quite a cool little layer to think about. In the synthesizer on the right hand, there are some really cool disco octaves happening as well. They probably don't sound as cliche because they're in the upper register. They're not synth bass. I don't think I picked up on those. So I, I, I really like that song. I think that's quite a nice song. But again, it's not a it's not Ween as such. It's no, it's it's not what, what they typically do. It doesn't once again doesn't really go with the theme of the album massively. Yeah. But a lot of the tracks so far haven't really fit with uh, the the frame, as it were. But uh... but I quite like it nonetheless. I think I think it's a really good song. And it's probably it's probably the song that 
really kind of hooked me into this album and made me listen to it again. Unlike The Golden Eel. The Golden Eel. It's either 3-4 or 6-4, but it's not 6-8. The story behind the song kind of is the song. (laughs) That's the thing. Aaron was staying or flatting with someone and his flatmate had a fish tank with a golden eel in it. He basically had some mushrooms and then sat there and watched the golden eel. I mean, most of the song basically just seems be them being unable to convey their thoughts when they were high. Can explain all these thoughts Yeah, basically, he they got high, they thought the ear was talking to them, but they have no way of actually vocalising what they were thinking at the time. And that's it. That's that's what the song is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, once again, it's another one of those ones with some fantastic production work going There's on. some awesome panning on this. Oh, yeah. And I just love, once again, those um, almost Kokomo-sounding drums. <laughs> Kokomo, Yeah. The best um, Beach Boys song. That were, um, well, yeah. <laughs> it depends on whether you're a fan of Space Force or not. I Well, I think, yeah, you're right. The, the production on this is just out of this world. Like Andrew Weiss, they kept referencing in the Stereo Gum article that they knew that he hated their guts because they'd fired him from the band. But they just knew that they had to get him to produce it, had to get him to mix it and do what he does and i can understand why yeah yeah it's pretty awesome i often think about the role of the producer it's quite a fascinating thing for me i buy records because the producer has worked on it and i judge it against other records that the producer has done Mm. i get i get the opinion sometimes there are producers that are hands-on like andrew vice seems to be doing cool things like that and actually being a part of the creative process, someone like uh, Nick Launay as well, mm. Nile Rogers, you know, they're all part of the creative process. But then there's producers where they're just there to push record. They're basically glorified engineers. Well, they're the ones that you don't hear about self, and they're not the ones, the big name ones. It's the big name ones are the ones who are putting their spin on things and getting involved. I think Andrew Weiss has done a really cool job. Big farty synth I've got written down. <laughs> Big farty sense. Yeah, I put epic in the chorus. Mm. Well, the next song then is Cold Blows the Wind. Which is a cover of The Unquiet Grave, which is a very, very old folk song. It was the first song recorded for the album. Oh, yes, it was, yeah. They recorded it, I think, on the first day at the Jersey Shore. What, what? They looked at the thing, wrote their own chords and tempo. <laughs> yeah, it was taken from a songbook of 17th century folk songs. Mm. Well, it was around in the 17th century, but it dates back further. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in the in the again in the stereo gum article, they've got photos of the book yeah. that they used, uh, and the song is called "Cold Blows the Wind." So it's pretty cool that you've found that it goes back further beyond that. Yeah, to uh, a cu- uh, to the unquiet grave, which was actually originally the other way around. So in in the cold wind blows, it's um it's about a woman mourning for a man. Right. Originally, it was the other way around. Oh, okay. Here's a quote from Mickey. 
if any one song defines that record, it's that song. And we did it on the first night. Totally encapsulated that stormy first night at the beach. It was raining, dark and cold. It sounded nautical, scary, folky and evil. Mm. My only other note for this is that I'm getting some serious Nick Cave vibes. It was back in 32 when times were hard. He had a Colt 45. He had a deck of cards. Had rat-drawn shoes and an old Stetson hat Had a 28 forward, had payments on that Staggerly Actually, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that, but now you mention it Yeah You think about when it was written And I think it was probably origina- originally, let's say, a folk song or a poem Yeah So that's, that's Nick Cave in the down to a T, isn't it? It's like, well, I'll just take this old gothic The murder ballad uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely some of his songs. Did he write Staggerly? That's a, it's a traditional, isn't it? It's a tradition, but they've basically kind of adapted rewrote it, it yeah. and adapted it. It's, yeah. You went to see him at the Dome, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I think uh, the day after you did. Something like that. That was, was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. For those of you that don't know, because we've got our own little language going on here, he was doing a solo show at the Brighton Dome. Brighton is Nick Cave's home away from home, shall we say? He's lived here for a very long time. I've got the postcard. It was the Red Hand Files. It's the Red Hand on Files. There. At my show, he did a he did a performance of Staggerly. Yeah, same here. Because a kid got to ask a question, and he stood up in the in the aisles and said, "Nick." I've been to your concert in Hobart. I've been to your concert in Sydney, and you didn't play Staggerly at either of those concerts. Can you please play Staggerly now? Nick Cave looks into the audience and he's like, uh, "Is your is your mum or dad here?" And mum was there, and she goes, "It's absolutely fine. Play it, please, play it." And he's like, oh, "I'm not sure if I can play Staggerly for an 11 year old kid." Long story short, he began playing it. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. He he just seems like a really good human being, doesn't it, Cave? He seems like a good egg, yeah. My favourite one um, was apparently somebody went to one of them who lived in his old flat, and basically their question for him was, Nick, where's the stopcock? That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Cold Blows the Wind really gives me that Nick Cave vibe. Mm. Yeah, now that you've mentioned it, absolutely. I really like it. The next song, Pink Eye, On My Leg. Typical ween, ween name right there. Yeah. <laughs> you can understand with, with this song and the next song why record executives or reviewers at the time would have gone, oh, my God. Yeah. Nice little song. I mean, it's just completely instrumental. Yep. The only instrumental on the album. Mm. I've got the, this pretty awesome synth sounds. Reminds me a lot of gorillas, or should I say, gorillas reminds me of Ween. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, now you mention it. Yeah, I know. I feel I know the drum loop from somewhere. Wait a minute, is it the Dayman drum loop? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Oh, of the night, man. Oh, 
Get out the sun. You're a master of karate and friendship forever. Oh, good, very well, V. I really like this song. I think this song's brilliant. I think it's really. It, it reminds me of. Um, do you know what it puts into my mind when I listen to it? Did you ever play Earthbound? No. It was a SNES game, SNES like, RPG game. Never played SNES. Ah, well, get it. Good game. But um, it just reminds me of the soundtrack to that. Like some of, okay. the town, one of the towns that you'd go to, I could absolutely just hear it being this. In fact, if if you go on to Genius.com, yeah. the lyrics for this song uh, come up as uh, Bark. Uh. Okay. That's it. I've, I've, I have put a note of I do like the panned uh sounds. Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> I kind of yeah, think that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I know. I think maybe it goes on a bit too long. Like, it's the kind of thing I could see it being like a minute and a half of just like, oh, yeah, it's a little, little thing. Three minutes is too long, I think. No, I like it. I like it. I think it could go on longer. But <laughs> provided that they keep changing the synth sound on that little melody that they have. Uh, okay, Pink Arm Leg. I really like that song. I think that's quite neat. The next song is another song with the perceived childish name, Waving My Dick in the Wind. Great name for a song. was the only song that the band actually considered to go on to their country record also, so they had to make a conscious decision on which album to put it on. I can see that. I can see how it could have gone on the country one. I'm getting a serious Viva Las Vegas vibe. Yeah! Yes, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole time I've listened to it, like for the last few days, I've been going, what's that in my head? It's just like, and yeah, you've got it. Perfect. Yeah. Good job. But the Dead Kennedys version, <laughs> which I'm going to throw it out there, is, a, is another really good cover. Yeah. The process vocals, it sounds like he's kind of, it's almost got that telephone sort of voice going. Or at least a bit of distortion or something. Yeah, I think it's just the way it's, yeah, just, I don't know if it was an intentional thing to go out and make it sound like something like that weird or whether they've just mixed it like that to make it sit as it does. But yeah, it sounds, it sounds brilliant. Sounds, sounds good. really good. I like the fuzzy guitar lines as well. I'm lost in the sauce once again. I'm lost in the sauce once again. If I make it through the night, everything will be all right. But I'm lost in the sauce once again. Yeah. It almost sounds like they've just plugged the guitar straight into the desk for the clean one, not the fuzzy one. I'm such a clean guitar. I'm wondering if they've just plugged it straight into the desk or com- into a compressor and then into the desk. <laughs> Once again, they've got just Casio rock drum beat as fast as it'll go. Well, that's that's what gives me the Viva Las Vegas vibe, right? Yeah. Okay, so the next song is Buckingham Green and Jake's just explained that he's getting a bit of white limo syndrome y- yes. with this one. For, for our potential new listeners that didn't listen to the first episode, can you explain the white limo syndrome? White limo is by far the best song on the album that it's on. <laughs> CD 
preceded by a song which is a bit weak comparatively. I've listened to it before. It's a good song. Uh, but in subsequent listens, uh, that song comes on and you just skip it because White Limo's the next song, so why wouldn't you just skip it and get to the good stuff? And you think the same with Buckingham Green. You're just going to skip it to get to the next song? I'm just going to skip it to get to Ocean Man and then much like with White Limo, I'm then going to just hit the repeat button. <laughs> I'll skip over Buckingham Green nice and quick for you. Apparently, it's a song that had been kicking around for quite some time prior to the album. The fuzzy guitar sounds pretty awesome. And I do like the marching snare with the timpani. Quite dramatic. There you go. Three notes. That's it. Done. Nice. Well, then, next one. Ocean Man. Ah, oh, track of the album. Ten out of ten. Yep. Uh, it's so catchy. It's really upbeat. It's, uh, I was getting Spongebob movie. That's probably just because it takes me back to being, you know, like 13 and watching the Spongebob movie. <laughs> I think you oversold the song to me. Oh, it's a great and song. And when I listened to it for the first time, it was just like, eh, I think there's better songs on this record. Yeah, you're wrong, but... Uh, you I'll, know. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Hello, folks, one and all. This is Stefan of the future coming back to you to tell you that I have looked it up and having spent the past week or so with Ocean Man, I can confirm that it is indeed a very good song. It's been stuck in my head for days and I need help. Someone please come and help me, help me, help me, help me. As Jake said, it's used over the end credits of the first Spongebob movie. Everything just fell into place with this song, apparently. They just managed to get it all into place. The pick guitar line is fantastic. absolutely amazing it sounds like it'd be like a lap steel well it might be i don't think i don't think so but yeah it's kind of got that sound to it hasn't it? it's kind of got that island music sound to it it does i think it sounds yeah it sounds fantastic which i think is definitely a vibe they were going for with this song in particular yeah once again like the driven guitar solos sound amazing <laughs> They sound so upbeat. Still, it's not my favourite, though. Disappointed in you, Stefan. Not my favourite, I know. Good straight-up alt-rock song, that's what it is. But like I say, it's not a bad song, it's just not the best song. Did you, did you pick up on the Pink Floyd references? No, I haven't. Tell me all Very about Very opening them. line. Ocean Man, take me by the hand. Yeah, uh, referencing uh, to Echoes, which, uh, fair play, if, if you can't remember all the lyrics to Echoes, it's fair enough. It is, what was it, like 25 minutes long or something like that? The line, the line in particular is, and do I take you by the hand and lead you through the land and help me understand the best I can? That, I thought that was quite a cool thing. Once again, was it intentional? Might well have been, actually. It does sound, it might well have been, does actually. sound pretty close. I've got no notes for the next one. Um, what, she wanted to leave? Yeah. Neither have I, really. I mean, it's just, it's not much to it. It's, it is what it is. It's bloke's wife goes off with three pirates and he shoots a cannon at them and then he drinks some rum and that's sort of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously it's got the reprise for the opening track as a hidden track at the end. Yes. 
Which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's like, how should we end it? Ah, we'll just slow down the, the first track and distort it. I think they would have been better off just finishing with Ocean Man. I think they would have been better off finishing with Ocean Man. I don't really see the point of this song on the album, but they wanted to throw it on there, so... Right, well, it's all over to you now. Okay, Stefan. For the first time in history, it's raining men. Hallelujah. And I'm going to ask you your favourite track from the album. It's not Ocean Man. You're wrong. So it's Ocean Man. Thank you very much. We'll end it there. Bye-bye. <laughs> I, I think, actually, my favourite track of the album... I think I'm going to have to go with Pink Eye on my leg. Oh, really? I really like that song. I really like that song. You know I'm me, surprised. I do like the uh, I do like the instrumental songs on albums, like The Sheltering Sky on mm. Discipline, King Crimson. I'm just, I'm just disappointed that it's so short. I... <laughs> I, I had you pegged as uh, would have been like the mollusk. Or, the mollusk um, is good. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Is a very close second, I think. I did like "Cold Blows the Wind." I thought that was that was really good. "Mutilated Lips" is a good song. "Polka Dot Tail." Now that you've added extra information, is all of a sudden rocketing up that list. But <laughs> "Pink Eye on My Leg" is is the one I think that just sounds really cool. Well, I'm glad glad you sort of went back to it. Yeah. All righty. Well, where would you put it on your list, your top 10 list? So Jake and I are currently building up a top 10 list of albums that we study with the hopes to be able to recommend to you a top 10. You can see them on stephsquatch.com. Currently, I have Amy Winehouse, Back to Black at number one, Discipline at number two by King Crimson, The Foo Fighters, Wasting Light, number three, and Devo, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo at number four. And I think I'm going to slot this into third place. Oh, really? Bumping down the Foo Fighters and Devo. Wowzers. Okay. Well, considering that I suggested this album sort of as a joke, it's better than I remembered, I've got to say. The production is amazing on this album. Yeah. Will you listen to more Ween albums? I think so. I think I'm willing to give them a go. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Right, so I'm going to put it in uh, also, actually, at number three. Stefan, is this a sound purchase? Yes, I think so. Although trying to find this on LP is actually increasingly difficult. They have pressed it, and on Discogs currently, I think it's going for 150 to 200 pounds. Someone's trying to sell it online for 300 pounds. I think currently it's on Amazon for... 40-something pounds. Still a bit much, though, isn't it? Well, that's probably the most I've ever spent on a record. I have spent more, but that's because it was a mistaken pressing. Oh, what was that one? Nirvana? That was uh, In Utero, yeah. It's the one where they, they accidentally put the, the original mix. Yeah, on. quite a famous copy. Yes, I'm going to say it is a sound purchase because I desperately want to purchase it. Although it is rather expensive, so bear that in mind, people. And if you buy the copy on Amazon before I get paid, I'll be very upset, whoever you are. <laughs> oh, you can just get a CD in the meantime. I don't really do CDs anymore. I don't I don't actually have a means to play CDs. Uh, to be honest, neither do I. Uh, well, outside of like... Yeah, my PlayStation's probably the only thing that plays CDs now. Yeah, I was going to say the same, like PlayStation or Xbox... 
My PC doesn't have a disk drive. No. So it can't play CDs. Neither do mine. Well, there you have it. Jake has introduced me to Ween's 1997 iconic recording, The Mollusk. I am Stefan, and this was A Sound Purchase, a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Check the show notes and up-to-date top tens list and other musings at stephsquatch.com. You can engage with us on social media under the handle stephsquatchblog. Other episodes of A Sound Purchase are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and stephsquatch.com. And if you've enjoyed the sounds during today's episode, visit your local record store to pick up a copy of Ween's The Mollusk. Support local businesses.